You're tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. This podcast will contain strong language and spoilers for decades-old media properties. Welcome, everybody. This is the podcast where we examine pop culture franchises of the VHS era, improv news stories, and go on long-winded rants about our favorite movies, TV, and games. I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we were raised by rentals. Mike, I hate it when people make new shit out of shit that I already like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, why do they gotta, you know, fuck with the good stuff? I know. They make shit out of the shit that I already like. When I say shit, it's like they make a bad thing. Out of the stuff that I like. I make shit out of the shit that I like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big old shit sandwich. It's a big old shit sandwich. Yeah, so we recently were talking about the Masters of the Universe, Motu, and you know, I thought we did a pretty fun uh, episode uh, recording about a Masters of the Universe uh, live-action movie. That should be a lot of fun. But... I we got on this little like side tangent for a minute and we had to stop ourselves because we said no like this is a rental rant because we were sitting there bitching about why did they put a bunch of new characters in the live action adaptation of the cartoon or toy line but those characters didn't exist in the cartoon or toy line like why did they do that <laughs> right like when you already have a property that people are paying to go see because they already like the property why are you changing it so drastically where it doesn't resemble the property that people know and love? I don't understand this. I think, And I feel like we're just adding our voices to the chorus of nerd boys who have been <laughs> bitching for decades about this very problem. Right? right. When you have a built in existing audience for a property that people already like a book, a cartoon, TV show, whatever it is. And then you think, Hey, let's make a new thing for the same audience. It will, you know, earn more money and give them more stuff that they like or bring in some new fans that will like, you know, the new adaptation. Maybe they'll go to the old, you know, uh, property and it's just a way to expand. And all of that seems to make sense, except when in real life it turns out to be like, hey, everyone really likes this book. Let's make a movie out of it. But everything in the book sucks. So we're just change every character's name and just change the plot and just change the <laughs> title too while you're at it. Why not? Because that book sucks. Oh, oh you mean you mean what they did with Wanted? <laughs> yeah, with, and the lawn and Stephen King's Lawnmower Man is another good example. Of like, <laughs> oh. Let's take this this weird satyr and turn it into like a handicapped VR movie. Like, wait, I what? what? Yeah, and the Wanted one was like, let's take this really cool, you know, comic book uh, about how like supervillains like secretly took over the world and made everyone forget about superheroes. And it's like, nah, we're just gonna have a bunch of like cool bullets that spin in the air for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> An assassin's guild that can defy physics. Like, yes. what? That's not what the book was about. Like, that's not what people <laughs> liked about the comic. And see, and that's a really good example, too. Wanted, the comic book by Mark Miller, because Mark Miller is known for being a comic book writer who, much like M. Night Shyamalan, or however you pronounce the guy's name, the director, who always puts, like, cool twists or cool gimmicks in his comics. I mean, that's kind of right. what his thing is, right? Uh, most of Mark Miller's comics are a like, really cool elevator pitch, you know, like yep. his comic book Nemesis, which is famously uh, sold based on one sentence, which is, what if the Joker became Batman? Mm-hmm. That's what Nemesis is. I'm like, that's a fucking cool idea. I want to read that, you know? Right. And yeah, and Wanted, that's exactly what it was. It was like, what if all the supervillains won? What if they win? What happens when supervillains win? What do they do to what happens to the world? And that's what Wanted is. And it's freaking amazing. And oh, they made this story. weird ass movie out of it. But see that that's the thing. I'm I'm of two minds here because while I am one hundred percent on the side of this where it's like if you're going to adapt a property, keep the core alive. Keep the reason that like the reason that the audience is there, keep that there. You know, like, don't change it. I, I know I've bitched about this on the show before. Uh, I, I mentioned it, I believe, in the the Masters uh, episode. But the whole Mortal Kombat thing, the new Mortal Kombat movie, it was it was uh, I had such high hopes. And then it was like, hey, here's this character that no one gives a fuck about. Let's focus on him, you know, on all the, the main characters that, you know, and love will just be ancillary, like on the screen for a few minutes. It was freaking dumb. So I hate it when they do that. But at the same time, 
if you're going to adapt a property, I do want a little bit new. I do. I don't want to just see a rehash of what I already know, especially if it's like you're adapting a comic book or, you know, a, a TV show or something to a film. I don't want them to just retread the exact same steps like beat for beat, because, you know, as, as we've discussed before on the Boogeyman's Closet with with remakes, um, if you do a shot for shot remake, Psycho taught us that doesn't work. You know, nobody cares. We want something added to the mythology. So I am a fan of when they take an adaption and give you a little bit new, give you something to care about. But they don't change the core of the property. And that's that's my big problem. It's, it's a fine line to walk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it just seems kind of silly to me, again, to take something that people really like and that there's a built-in fan base for it and then to give them something new and then to change it so much that you piss off the fan base of the people who like the thing (laughs) in the first like the point is like there must have been some value like world war z for example like there must have been some value in this really interesting book that a ton of people liked written by a successful and popular author and then you make a movie out, out of it and you basically just change everything. Like it really, that's an example of a movie that really felt like there was just a script laying around somewhere and they were like, oh yeah, we're going to make this World War Z thing into a movie. What's it about zombies? Oh yeah, I already have one of those. And like, that'll save me a buck. You know, I don't have to pay a script writer because I already have this zombie movie. Like, it's like, they, it, it, it's insulting, you know, to the mm-hmm. people who wanted to go and see the movie adaptation of the thing that they like. I mean, I know some people just don't like adaptations at all. You know, some right. people really just, they feel like whatever the original format and medium is that's what it should be you know and writer writer alan moore you know has notoriously taken his name off of you know comics and adaptations uh, of that he's been involved in because he doesn't want his name associated with anything that is a uh, different than his original vision, you know, so they've done sequels yeah. and he doesn't want his name on them. They've done re, you know, remastered versions. He doesn't want his name on them. And he said, he's taken no credit and even no money apparently for, you know, any of the movie adaptations of Watchmen from hell, Viva Vendetta, et cetera. Uh, I, I wouldn't wow. want my name on the, I wouldn't want my name on the league of extraordinary gentlemen either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll give him that one, <laughs> you know, but it's like, and I, and I and I understand that stance. It's very, you know, militant and hardcore, in my opinion. You know, and uh, all of his um, collaborators, you know, the artists that he worked with, you know, they they've all been really excited and involved in the adaptations because they can be very fun. You know, right, absolutely. To, to, to see this thing that you made and just see it through the lens of a different medium or a different person interpreting what you did. You know, but again you want the audience to come to the new thing and enjoy it because it's like a new version of this thing that they already like rather than just give them something completely different because you don't respect them enough to like give a shit about what they think. Yeah. Or you don't respect the property in general. Like um, there's uh, again, going back to the masters of the universe one that we recently did. I mentioned William Stout as being the production designer. There is an interview with him think it's on it's either on the toys that made us or um there was a, a motu documentary on netflix i can't remember what the name of it was but it's on one of them where they were talking specifically about the film and he has a quote in there where he was showing his designs to the mattel uh you know executives and they were like this doesn't look like he man this this doesn't look like skeletor and he flat out he's like it doesn't have to be it's a movie it can be different it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to look the same so he clearly didn't respect the property enough to design the characters to look like look like movie versions of their original uh, toy and, and TV counterparts. And, and I think that's a dangerous game when you when you start when you get people involved that might be great designers, might be great, you know, script writers or directors or whatever. But if they don't respect the property they're working on and they want to do their own thing with it. Now you're you're going to piss off the fan base. And unfortunately, we see that happen a lot. Yeah. And, and, and it comes down to I think it's, there's this idea of, you know, people who 
who do these movie 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 adaptations i mean they're artists in their own right right i'm not gonna denigrate any of them right let's say you're a movie director and you know you have this artistic vision and you want to make you know these really interesting you know movies interesting films and work with you know really talented cinematographers and you know etc so you know what happens when a property comes comes across your desk and it's you know based on a book or based on a comic book or something else and you, you get to adapt it you know I, I think you have to ask yourself you know is my artistic vision more important than the original creator's vision and i think the answer is most of the time turns into yeah like they they just think that well, i'm gonna do my thing and this property that i'm adapting is like an idea it's like we're all sitting around brainstorming and someone threw out an idea you know and like oh yeah hey you know there's you know there's this book uh you know from hell and they're like oh yeah what's that about and then instead of respecting the original book enough to just you know, say, okay, well, what's that book about? How does the story flow? What are the arcs? Who are the characters? And then trying to like put that on screen. Instead, it just becomes like one more idea in a soup that the director then takes and yeah. like, this is my vision, you know, but it's like, yeah, but then if you're calling it from hell, you're calling it Master of the Universe, you know, or whatever, you're using that title, you know, then why? At that, right. at that point, at that point, it just becomes, you know, either it's an obvious cash grab or you're just trying to keep your job or something. But like clearly you're just you're taking advantage of the fact that you have a fan base and you're tricking them into coming to see the thing that you made rather than the thing that they were expecting to see for their money. Right. And that's the thing. There's a fine line between doing an adaptation and doing an homage. And if you're not respecting if you're basically taking elements from this original property and going, but I'm going to do my own thing. You're basically making an making an homage. You're not making an adaptation, and then to sell it as an adaptation that that's disingenuous. You know that that's bullshit. Yeah, completely. You know, and on the flip side though, like to be positive for a second, I also I do actually like it when. You can adapt something, but you mentioned before, like add something new to it. Like if yeah. you're gonna gonna adapt it and you wanna put your own spin on it, fine. Put your own spin on it, but like be respectful of the source material. You know, and I think the preacher TV show is a good example of that. I will admit I am not a big fan of the show in general. But yeah. I do I do know that, you know, uh, Seth Rogen and the other creators were huge fans of the comics and they wanted to adapt that you know show or that comic into a good show. But it's a really difficult story to adapt to, you know, to the screen. Uh, yeah. and, and some stories, be they books or comics or whatever, like they don't necessarily shift from one medium to the next easily. Like you have to be able to make some adjustments, whether it's for special effects or, you know, time or, you know, whatever. Um, but I think that they, they, they took a really interesting approach with Preacher because it seemed to me what they did was they took all of these really cool elements from the book. Like here, here they take all the characters, take all the really cool scenes, take some of the major story arcs, and it's like make each of them into like a little unit and then shuffle them all up and put them back together in a different order and then tell that story. And that's what it re- what it what it uh, what it was like to watch that show because I was familiar with the elements, but they were all mixed up that I was really interested in where it was going. Like I didn't know what the ending was going to be. I didn't know what the next step was going to be. And I found it really exciting, you know, like, Oh wow. Yeah. This, like here's something that I like, but now I don't know how it's going to end. This is cool. And again, while I don't think it, that particular example was like ultimately successful, I really, really enjoyed the approach. Agreed. And, and honestly, like, I kind of fell out with Preacher. Like I, you know me, that's one of my all-time favorite comics. Um, so there was a lot of stuff there that I was kind of like, oh, I wish that was different. Oh, I wish that. And it was like, while I could appreciate what they were doing, there was also that that hardcore fanboy in me that was just like, oh man, <laughs> like so. <laughs> yeah, I, and like, I think that's why that's why it ultimately wasn't successful because it was a little bit too different. But hey, yeah. I, I thought it was ballsy, you know. Yeah, and and no, and, and I would argue like I loved the cast. I, I like there's a lot that they did with that show that I really did like. But it was just it wasn't overall what I personally as a fan was hoping for. Uh, Meanwhile, over on The Walking Dead, I fucking loved what they did with that. At least I I mean, I'm I'm catching up now, but I stopped watching in season nine originally just because I kind of I burnt out. I hit that Walking Dead fatigue. But, you know, being a huge fan of the comic book and, and, you know, having read the entire run and all that when they were doing the show and they were like following the plot points of the show, 
but veering slightly in different directions and adding new characters and being like, okay, this character arc happens to this guy in the comic, but what if we give it to this other character and we surprise the audience by killing this character who doesn't die in the comic? That kind of stuff I really enjoyed because I was like, I was, I was able to be shocked. I was able to be surprised and be like, holy shit. No, they didn't. Did they really do that? Oh my God, they did. You know? And, but then still the core element was there because they gave that plot thread to another character. And I I loved that. I I did really appreciate that. And I will say that in some cases they maybe took it too far. And I know fans kind of reacted poorly, especially at what happens to Carl. Um, And then I know like some of the changes, like with Rick and Maggie leaving the show, there were some changes that people weren't happy about. But overall, I liked what they did. Like the fact that they turned, they took Carol from a fucking psychotic loony in the in the comic book and made her this fucking badass in the show. Like I loved that, and I, I loved when they were able to to reinvent some of these characters while keeping true to the core story. So that's when I when I see that happening in adaptation, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think it's uh, that's a good approach, and I think the MCU as a whole has done a really good job of taking a huge amount of source material in terms of like decades worth of comics in some cases, and yeah, like boiling it down to like what's really important about this character, what's what are the base elements of this character, and then telling us a new story. And while some of the plot points might have been familiar to longtime comic book fans, you know, there are some things that just kind of have to happen to characters in terms of where their story arcs go. But, yeah, it was really exciting to get to kind of see a new version. Like, where are they going to go with this? You know, I don't know. They could they could kill a character. They could, you know, change a character. They could depower somebody. They could turn somebody into a hero that wasn't in the in the comic and, again, put a new spin on it. So I think that that is a shining example of, I mean, maybe the most successful adaptation in history, just in terms of, like, dollars and size and the number of adaptations they've done that were successful and well-liked. You know, it's it's pretty impressive. Um, especially when there's so many ter- terrible ones out there, you know, oh, and God, yeah. we've already talked about the street fighter adaptation, you know, <laughs> in an early episode, you know, yep. I, I feel like the eighties and nineties, especially were just so bad about, they would just make a movie out of something and you knew it was just going to be trash. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? well, well, it was like in, in the world of video games, there was this whole thing of like any video game, uh, based on a movie was going to be garbage. And there were very few examples in the 90s where, like, it wasn't true. Uh, Like, the Aladdin uh, Sega Genesis video game was actually good. Um, But it's like most of them were were utter trash. It wasn't until uh, Spider-Man 2 on the PlayStation, uh, PlayStation 2, that it was like, holy shit, you can make a really good video game based on a movie and it's not just a cash grab, which it always was before. And I feel like, like you said, in the 80s and 90s, they were notorious for it. And I do believe it was because they had this mentality. It was just like a, a thing in Hollywood where, well, we got to make it different. It's a movie, so it can't be the same as that cartoon. Or it's a movie, so it can't be the same as the comic book. We have to do something new and bold and different. And it was just this like accepted idea or this accepted uh, format that everybody tried to fit these properties into and they always failed. Like it always went wrong. Yeah. You know what what I find interesting too is so many of the movies that we, you and I have mentioned are quote unquote genre movies, you know, and you and I are are fans of horror and superheroes and sci-fi and, you know, fantasy and all these sort of, uh, you know, non standard genres and i think that that stuff is exciting because it really ups the ante in terms of like what's possible and yet when you look at movie adaptations of let's just look at books for example movie movie adaptations of books that are quote-unquote like literary of books or like you know sort of mainstream the movie movie adaptations are largely all well received and well done and like they just take the book story and sort of animate it you know with with actors right you get things like pride and prejudice Mm -hmm. to kill a mockingbird you know forrest gump is a really good example you know they made they made some changes but you know nothing drastic you know the the book the book ended up on screen you know there's um i don't know little women you know (laughs) the the devil wears prada is another really good example um you know i'm just kind of throwing them out there where it's like but then you get into something like you know uh 
even a Stephen King book. Yeah. Some of the adaptations yep. have been pretty good and some of them have just been like wildly nuts, you know, yep, <laughs> you know, to, exactly. to the point where Stephen King himself hates some of the adaptations, you know, the, the shining being the most famous example of that. Um, but yeah, so it's just, it, it, it seems like there, it's like if you pick a book or a comic or some source material out of a quote unquote, like genre ghetto, people just, always seem to gravitate toward well we gotta change it because that's ah, horror so it's stupid so we gotta change it ah, it's like you know for kids so it's stupid so we gotta change it you know right. <laughs> and which is so silly because you, you look at like look at the reverse of that and like look how many disney movies are like well loved that are you know based on fairy tales and books and you know other source material and it's like and they're they, they're they might change things but they're really respective of the source material and people love those movies but then when you try to make a movie for adults that's based on like a sci-fi book and it's like well you know we can't really do that because you know it's silly but it's like but people like that book for a reason like it was popular because that's there are there's a huge fan base for people who like that type of material you know all the way back to fucking jules verne right well and it all comes back down or it comes down to the whole respect factor they don't respect the source material and i feel like you know you you'd mentioned the marvel movies and i feel like we were still seeing some of that uh like residual um, disrespect from the 80s and 90s into the first forays into comic book movies in the late 90s and early 2000s, like what we now know of as like the starting point for, you know, where we are now. Like if you were to look at 2000 versus 2020 and the way comic book movies and like video game movies and all that were were perceived, they were drastically different. Like modern day Marvel they're just taking shit right from the comic books. I mean, like, yeah, take that that suit that he wore in the comic. Let, let's tweak it a little. Let's add add a little flair. But yeah, it's it's basically it's still the Iron Spider. Okay, put that on the screen. You know, a talking tree man. Yeah, stick him on the screen. They're doing that. Whereas in the early two thousands, they were like, oh, the X Men can't have like different spandex costumes. Put them all in black leather. You know, it's like they yeah, had they were that they were embarrassed. Sorry, it's like they were embarrassed by it. You know, it was like yeah. goofy. It was like for for little kids. You know, Wolverine can't wear like yellow spandex. They even make make a joke out of it in the first X Men movie. Right, and then like I even I remember mentioning the, this to you. I, I still remember this conversation very vividly where we were talking about the upcoming GI Joe movie at the time back in in two thousand nine. Um, it was like I was bitching about why did they go the X Men route and put them all in like black body armor and black leather like. It's a military movie. Why can't they just be in military outfits? Like, I don't understand the black leather. Black, like, I get it. You don't want to put, you know, uh, some of the, the like, you don't want to put Airtight's costume on screen. You know, some of the weird garish G.I. Joe characters. But it's like, you know, why was Duke and Ripcord in black body armor and black leather outfits? Like, the only two characters that should have been in black leather Worst, uh, freaking Snake Eyes and Baroness. That's it. Everybody else should have had a different costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned the superhero thing too. Yeah, I mean, look at the '90s and like Blade was a really good example of like a you know a comic book adaptation. But man, uh, ask anyone back then if Blade was based in a comic, and I don't think anyone really knew that it was right because they seemed to really want to keep it at arm's length, you know, the, the source material, right. you know, to the point where even now people talk about Blade being like a comic book adaptation, or like the first Marvel movie. And there's always a lot of resistance to that idea. And I know, no, it was just a cool horror movie. And it's like, right. no, I mean, it was, it was based on this comic though. I mean, they changed a bunch of shit, obviously, you know, um, but yeah, it, it just, you know, silly stuff like Howard the Duck and like even that weird Captain America movie, that first one, oh, where they, just, they, they changed so many things that like they couldn't even have Nazis in it. And it's like, how does Captain America exist without Nazis? I mean, that's his whole origin story. Like, the, it's like the Italian Red Skull. Yeah, it's like it's just, but it's like they they change stuff like just for the sake of changing it, which is so silly. And yeah, people think they're like embarrassed by like superhero, you know, type movies and movies based on comics, and yet. You know, when Richard Donner's like Superman came out, it like blew away the world, you know, and then when Tim Burton's Batman movie came out, it was a cultural phenomenon. And there was tons of other like successful movies that were kind of superhero ish, like The Rocketeer, you know, and that was a big hit. And people loved that. 
you know, right. and and that, that's actually Rocketeer is actually pretty pretty loyal to the comic too, which I think is great, you know. But of course, backing up to like Tim Burton on Batman, people love the movie because they're like, oh, it's a dark and gritty and realistic version of Batman. First of all, realistic, hell no. Like that that is a <laughs> silly silly ass movie with all kinds of wacky stuff in it. And of yeah. course, it, you know, it was Kevin Smith who famously told that story about how Tim Burton had like never read a comic book in his life, and yet yeah. he made Batman two of them, mind you. But it's because <laughs> Tim Burton wasn't adapting a Batman comic book. He was adapting the Adam West TV show from the 60s. Yeah. That's what that was. A dark Adam West show. Like, That's, yeah. Let's and make, I mean, make it goth. It worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I fucking love that movie. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying yeah. it's like, you know, it's silly to me that when people, that people get so embarrassed, like, oh, we can't make like a superhero movie or we can't make, you know, like a horror movie and make it like serious. What I mean, now I think uh, – uh, perceptions have changed but you know of course back then right. that's why you, you could never could you couldn't get a good movie based on a toy or a cartoon because people were embarrassed by it even though there were perfect examples like richard donner's superman that were right there in front of you that people just absolutely love just ate up like even the quote-unquote like normies you know like they yeah. they love those types of movies so again when there's source material that people like just give it to them i still think that the best example is is ninja turtles and 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 the reason i say that is because they the the fan base like the the fan explosion the turtle mania came about because of the toys and cartoon and they did not adapt the toys and cartoon they adapted the mirage comics you know and and just added little flares from the 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 cartoons like they gave them the colored masks and their love of pizza you know but as far as like you know Oh, and I'm sorry. And April was a reporter. They had her as, as a reporter. But, you know, she still owned the antique shop like in the comic books. You know, she wasn't an assistant to Baxter Stockman, but, you know, owned the antique shop. Casey Jones was there. You know, the foot soldiers and Shredder all looked like they did in the in the comic book. You know, Splinter and the Turtle, like the origin story was from the comic books and not the cartoon. But that movie was a runaway success. Why? Because they respected the material. They were like, you know what? Yes, we understand that these are four anthropomorphic turtles that are ninjas somehow, <laughs> but fuck right. it. We are going to do it. And and shit, I think that move, that first movie still holds up to this day. I still enjoy watching it. The second one is pretty goofy. The third one I wish didn't exist, but that that first movie, I fucking love it. Like all of the the turtle film incarnations can't hold a stick to that, in my opinion. And that was from what eighty nine or ninety. Like oh, yeah. that was that was forever ago. But that's a perfect example of at the time how you did one of those genre picks uh, respectfully and 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 give the fans what they wanted. Like sure. People like myself were like, where's Rocksteady and Bebop? Because I hadn't read the Mirage comics that much at the time. Um, I was reading mostly the Archie comics, which were based on the cartoons. And then, you know, I went back and read a lot more of the Mirage comics as, you know, as my fandom for Turtles grew. Um, but yeah, like you can do adaptations right. They just chose not to. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, like. I'm sure we could go on and on and on about like, you know, bullshit movies that made all kinds of like weird changes to their source material. You know, sometimes it works. Like, you know, I liked ready player one, for example, I know a lot of people hate right. that movie and I read the book and I liked both of them, you know, but right. sometimes Same. there's, sometimes there's weird shit where they change. They just change so much that it's like, this, this isn't even the book anymore. Like, what is yeah. this, you know, or they change like a, a, a key element of the plot that is so important to, you know, the, the message that the, book or the comic whatever that was trying to tell and then you change that one such key element to make the movie just completely like not make any sense like where you've you've changed the point of the story entirely and right. like again you know it can work you know again if you're trying to add something new to it you're telling a different type of story but like if you don't change everything else along with it it's like you can't have all the dominoes you know just fall 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 and then one of them just goes sideways like what you know like it has to right the story still has to be able to make sense you can't just throw these you know, curveballs in there because you're like, yeah, I wanted to like mix it up, you know. Uh, sometimes you can uh, change a core element for the better. And, and mm -hmm. the, the perfect example that I always think of is the Watchmen. Because oh, yeah. I personally think that the change of Dr. Manhattan being like, mm -hmm. you know, the 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 big the big bad 
versus the space squid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that made a lot of, I know it pissed a lot of fans off. I remember the controversy of the time, but I remember seeing that going, I liked it. I thought that was a good move. I thought that was a good change. Yeah, it was. Um, You know, and and so it can happen. But I was going to say two points. One, I feel like sometimes fans get caught up in the nitty gritty of this isn't right or that isn't right. And it's always shit that doesn't matter. And one of the things I always think about is when the Harry Potter movies were coming out. I remember a lot of people complaining about stuff like hairstyles. Like oh, that the hair isn't right or like, you know, that's not how their wand looked or why didn't you know, why didn't this person say this line? It's like there are going to be changes to condense a film and you have to like aesthetic approaches, like minor aesthetic approaches should not really matter. And th- this kind of gets into that whole thing where people are like, that character's not black or that character's not a woman. It's like, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, if, God. Okay. if it fits like like the whole uh, uh, um, MJ in the in the Marvel, uh, the MCU, people are, well, MJ's not black. Shut up. Just shut up. Yeah, just shut she's up. great. Yeah. She's great in the movie. She's she's an amazing character. She's an amazing actress. Like, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I hate God, that yeah. kind of shit. But sometimes fanboys get too caught up in that. And then on the flip side, you have stuff that is super successful, like the Marvel films. But they don't give the directors and the script and the scriptwriters a lot of free reign. Like they do tell them, look, we're building a bigger uh, story here. So you need to work within the confines of this box. And some directors won't do it. Some I mean, like I know um, Edgar Wright, he had he he was working on Ant-Man and he basically said Marvel was extremely difficult to work with. And he's like, I can't do it. And he backed out. Um, I know that, uh, Joss Whedon, I know there's a whole controversy there, but I remember Joss Whedon with the Avengers, like him complaining about like, uh, the age of Ultron, how difficult it was to work within the confines that Marvel was setting up to be able to tell the story that he wanted to tell while, you know, staying in that box. But I feel like there's an argument to be made for that because they are telling a bigger story. They are trying to keep it in one you know, one collective universe. And this, this comment that I'm now going to make is going to lead (laughs) into a future rant because I feel like where that failed is what this, what Disney did with the star Wars movies, because while I will argue there are, (laughs) there are some wins, they allowed too much free reign. And then the piece is no longer connected. And when you're trying to tell an overall big story, you need the pieces to line up. I'm all for give a director a property and let them run with it and do their vision within reason if it's an adaptation. Um, but if it's just like like I always bring up bring this up when I talk about the Star Wars stuff. You know my feelings on The Last Jedi. I'm not a fan. Um, I, I just I don't. We'll we'll talk about it one of these days. But um, screw you, that movie's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan. But we'll there. I, I, I always look at it this way. As a as a film, I understand why people like it. My reasons for not liking it are story related. Um, I have a problem with how it connects to the overall piece. Now, taking that and looking at something like Alien 3. Alien 3 takes what happened before it and throws it in the garbage and does its own thing while still being an amazing fucking movie. So yeah. I'm not saying it can't work, but the difference is Alien 3 wasn't part of a trilogy. Alien 3 was straight up a sequel. It was like, we're doing our own thing. Like, we, yeah. we are, we're not telling an overall story. We're just telling the next chapter in this franchise. Whereas with the reason I have a problem with, with The Last Jedi is because it is, this is the second part to a three-part story. <laughs> so... I have my story problems there, but that's for a different <laughs> rant. That's for a different, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my point is allowing the directors, the free reign. And sometimes it can, sometimes it can work. Uh, and sometimes it, it doesn't work. And, and I think the MCU is a perfect example of that, where if they allowed directors to do whatever they wanted to do, I think we would have had some MCU adaptations like the eighties uh, Punisher. Uh, <laughs> which, which I still like, but uh, oh, not, too, not because it's good. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, quick, quick, quick rant about the Punisher. I did recently watch it like in the last year, and I will say it holds up on that like 
death wish and like the warriors kind of level of just like that weird gritty like action movie where just everyone is a fucking badass (laughs) oh yeah it's like it's not to me it's like it's like a poor man's cobra you know like cobra is a straight up like well-made it's a well-made movie it's got great music great cinematography like you know fuck you if you don't like it because just because (laughs) it has so much testosterone that doesn't actually make it a bad movie you know but whereas the punisher was like okay it wasn't that great it's a fun movie to watch and i love watching it i've seen it a hundred times but like is it a well-made movie yeah (laughs) probably not you know (laughs) so but i'll give i'll give one i'll give a positive example of an adaptation to i know this is supposed to be ran so we can we bitch and complain about how stuff is stupid but you know again i think the positive examples just make it all the more frustrating when you can make a good adaptation and then you see a bad one you see so many bad ones and it's so frustrating because there are ways to do this that work you know and i mentioned in another episode that i'm a big fan of uh the wheel of time the the book series by robert jordan huge huge fan giant fan and i was really really excited for the tv show and I don't want to, I don't, I could go, go have a whole episode about the TV show. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, but before the show even came out, when the cast was announced, oh my God, the internet lost their fucking minds. Or let me rephrase the bigots all over the goddamn internet lost oh, their yeah. minds because it was like they cast characters that weren't, or I'm so sorry, they cast actors that weren't all white. You know, some of them were white. Yeah. Some of them were, you know, uh, South Asian. Some of them were, you know, uh, uh, they were black and Asian or East Asian, you know, all all different races. And people lost their minds because they're like, oh, these characters are supposed to be white. You know, they, they, they describe them, you know, to look that they have like, you know, brown hair and brown eyes. And they're from these little towns that are, are like a like an analog of like England and blah, 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 blah. And I just want to say, you know, like, first of all, fuck you for being a right. douche. Right. First of all, fuck you for being a douche. And second of all, like. I've read those books over and over and over again. And while there are some indications of what some of the characters are supposed to look like, very rarely does it contradict what we ended up getting on the show. Yeah, the char- the main char- some of the main characters from this little village in the middle of this uh, fantasy kingdom that's supposed to be kind of be like medieval England, yes, they have brown hair and brown eyes. Sure they do. But, like, so do black people. <laughs> you know, right. like, it's like, what's the problem, you know? And, and on top of the fact that, like, the whole – the whole uh, gimmick, the whole gist of what the Wheel of Time is about, like the storyline, is that time is circular, not linear in in this world. And so the future is also the past, and the past is also the future. And that the wheel turns, you know, and all of the the quote unquote spokes on the wheel are like the ages of mankind. And so yeah. things that we think of as fact to the people in the wheel of time are like legends from the past, you know, like they have got, they have legends of characters that we know of and that exist in the real world, you know, like Martin Luther King and, you know, astronauts and, you know, countries like America and the USSR. And then characters that to them are real people like, you know, uh, Arter, Arter Pendrag to us that's a that's a distant you know legend of a person named Arthur Pendragon you know who was uh, the king of Camelot you know so that's 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 the whole argument but also the storyline focuses around uh, an event that that they call the breaking of the world where literally like the planet was uh shifted like continents were moved and shifted around and and humans were forced to migrate all over the world and so all of the characters in the books, their culture and their race and their languages, et cetera, are all mixed up. Like, and so you, you, when you look at the way the characters are described, it's like, oh, these characters seem to be very much like they're from Spain, and yet they dress like somebody from China. Or these characters really seem to be like their culture and their their food and whatnot. It seems very much like they would be from like the Arabian Peninsula, and yet, you know, all of their like music and and whatever and armor is like you know samurai japan you know so like everything's all mixed up and to me like that's the beauty of what the story is about it's about how the world was scrambled and you know there's a story arc over thousands of years that is resolved you know based on that event happening like that's the whole point of the entire story on a very macro level so the fact that all the main characters who are from all this this little village in the middle of nowhere all look so different is story appropriate 
if you right. had read the fucking books. So instead of bitching and complaining because <laughs> these like bigoted white people have these ideas in their head that like, you know, medieval fantasy all have to be these white European dudes. It's like, did you read the goddamn books? You know, I mean, come on, like pay attention to what you're talking about. And then the bitch and complain, you know, that oh, they, whether they're being racist or whether they're just being pedantic, like you mentioned, like, oh, their hair is different and their eye color is different. Like, right. so what? That, that doesn't affect the story in any way, shape or form, you know, exactly. but. And then we get the actual show. And again, I could go on and on, but we get the actual show and they made a crap ton of changes. But we're also talking about a book series that's like 14, 15 books long, depending on, on if you count the prequel, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's an enormous story that takes place over many years on top of the fact that there's like hundreds and thousands of years of backstory to get into and explain. It takes place over half of a planet, like dozens and dozens of countries. It's literally thousands of characters who are named and like indexed in the books, and yet they need they need to adapt enough of the story for people to understand it in eight episodes, <laughs> you know? Right. So like, <laughs> of course they have to change things, but I thought that they did an admirable job of condensing an enormous amount of information into a story that makes sense. And my daughter who knows I love the books, but has never read them. She watched the show and she was absolutely in love with it. She understood it. She followed along like, you know, nothing seemed odd or strange about the cast or anything, Mm -hmm. you know, and she made no comment about how, well, well, why do they have these people that look Indian with the people who look black and the people who look white all living together? Like that never came up because it's so natural and well done. And so that's a great example of how like, you know, the trolls come out of the rocks to bitch and complain about stupid stuff. And but then you actually watch the show and they did an amazing job of telling the same story, but in a different enough way because it was shorter, it's more condensed, you know, they combined some things together. And man, it was a it was a heck of a good time. You know, I have I have oh, a couple absolutely. I have a couple of quibbles, but that's for another time. I, I still need to watch it. Um it's definitely on my list of, of shows I want to watch, but but no, that 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 whole thing of like uh you know changing the race of a character and all that. The argument you always hear and it drives me crazy is like, "Well, what if they made the Black Panther white?" It's like, first of all, that's just fucking stupid. Um <laughs> just shut up. Because <laughs> that's because that's the correct answer. Right. Well, because now you're you're changing like the 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 race of that character is core to the story of that character. He is he's from Wakanda that is completely untouched by the outside world. So it's like it's it doesn't make sense to have that character be white. You know, to change the the race of MJ, who the fuck cares? Like those kind of, like I hate it when people get caught up on that. Like the have you heard the current one where everyone is bitching about the possible changes to Professor X and Magneto for the MCU X-Men when they introduce them? Yeah, yeah, I've heard. <laughs> so, so just just for the listeners, if you have, if you haven't heard, a, a lot of people are upset because they're talking about having both of these characters be black. Now, the argument that I keep hearing used over and over again is Magneto is a survivor of the Holocaust. You, you know, it doesn't make sense. Blah 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 blah. Okay, I I understand, and that is very core to Ma- Magneto's character. That him being a survivor of the Holocaust is very core to how his view on mutants versus mankind plays a role. So I understand what they're saying. However, we have now distanced ourselves so much from that time period that the only way to do an X-Men movie now is to either change the starting point of those characters or only do period piece movies. So because Magneto would have to be 90 to be uh, a concentration camp survivor. Exactly. And that's why I'm saying, like, so you have to like if you want them brought into the modern MCU, it makes sense that we are going to have to do some story changes to play with those characters. And if we're already going to change the core, you know, backstory and and kind of muddle that, why not play with the characters a little bit? So instead, they're like, OK, well, what about civil rights leaders? What, let's play with that story. So yeah. apparently they're they're basing them on, on uh, Martin Luther King and and Malcolm X, and I'm yeah. like, that's kind of brilliant. Like I I'm I'm kind of down for this. I think you it's know? awesome. I think that there's already been an element of that in the 
passivism versus aggression um, philosophies that the two characters had, even all the way back to, you know, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart playing the character in, you know, the 19, is it 1999, the X-Men movie? Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. But yeah, even back then, it was like they may not have explicitly mentioned MLK and Malcolm X, but the philosophies but there. were there. They were saying words that were inspired by those real real life people. So, yeah, to me, it's a natural progression. Uh, yeah, just move on to the next important historical event that right. will create people of this you know, nature. Like, yeah, p- people always go back to World War Two because it was such, you know, a, uh, a hugely uh, important and like history changing event. But there are other right. events besides World War II that affect people as, on such a, a large level, like a large scale. And the civil rights right. movement definitely counts. And I mean, plus, you got to figure when the X-Men was created, World War II was only what, like 25 years removed? So it wasn't that old. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, not, yeah it, not even that. Not even not even that long. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, it's, it's the, the same reason why. Was, I forget. Oh, no, X-Men 63. wasn't in the 70s. It was the 60s, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 1963. Yeah, I was thinking it was the 70s. So yeah, no, it was even earlier. <laughs> it was less than 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that at that time Shit. it would have made sense for for you know if Magneto was say uh, you know a tween or whatever in in uh, World War II, then yeah, and he'd be like in his you know 20s or 30s by the time the story right. starts, right? Yeah, 1963. So it was it was recent history in much right. the same way. I have not heard I've heard a lot of controversy about the Punisher, you know, on both sides of the political fence over the yeah. years. But I, I there's one thing I have never ever heard one complaint that nobody has ever made, even though you could. I mean, there's a valid complaint there to be made. I've never heard it, which is in the Punisher TV show on Netflix uh, with what's his name? John Bernthal. Nobody has that I'm aware of has ever complained. Well, the Punisher's supposed to be a Vietnam War vet, and he didn't go to Vietnam in the show, so the show's stupid, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Even though the fact that Frank Castle was a Vietnam War vet is a what was a huge and important part of the character's backstory, it really right. defined why the character was the way he was, why he had PTSD, you know, what his, you know, his experiences in the real world versus like this constant war that he was in, you know, and a lot of great stories have been written about him to the point where, you know, back in the nineties, Marvel published, you know, an entire comic book called the nom that featured Frank yep. Castle as well to tell those stories. The problem now is you can't have a Punisher who was a Vietnam vet because he would be way too old, you know? So what do you want? Do you want the character that you like to be adapted on screen at the right age? Or do you want to see, you know, like a 70 year old Punisher, you know, hobbling around, you know, shooting, you know, bad guys. Like what do you, which one do you want? You know I mean? Clint Eastwood could play the Punisher. Why not? But like, is that really what you want? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And that, and that's the thing I, I do feel, uh, you know, with, with the concept of adaptations in mind, like there is an argument to be made for you have to change with the times, especially as these these characters get longer in the tooth. Like, you know, we're talking about characters that have been around for, you know, in some cases, 50 plus years and other cases longer. And we have to change it to make it relevant to the time. Other Otherwise, we have to do period pieces. That's the only way. And while I do feel that the last attempt uh, by Fox to do the X-Men franchise was a very well done attempt, like first class days of future past and apocalypse. I actually really enjoy those movies Mm -hmm. and I like the fact that they did do a period piece with them. So it made sense. You could still do the whole like, you know, world war two survivor. You could do all that because the, the time frame that it took place in, I mean, it ended in the eighties, you know, there's a a joke in apocalypse where Cyclops and the gang all go to see return of the Jedi and, and Jean gray comments on how the third one is never as good as the others. And I thought that was hilarious. I was like, that's (laughs) nice. You know, a little, little self-referential there. I like that. Um, But I will argue that that movie has one of my favorite superhero movies or f- superhero scenes ever in a movie. And that's the Quicksilver scene. I fucking oh, love it. It's so good. It's yeah. such a good scene. But but yeah, like so I'm excited to see what they can do new. So the, here's that part of the adaptation I was talking about earlier on the show where it's like I want to see some new stuff. Like I have I, I guess it, it, it's this is where I kind of diverge. You've already given me a version that I know and love. So it's kind of in that remake vein of if we're going to do more with it, give me something new while still being true to the characters. And that's mainly what I'm going to ask for. Yeah, exactly. I think a really good example of that. I mean, there's a lot of really good examples of like 
good movies that are adaptations, you know, like Blade Runner and um, uh, the, the Shining we mentioned already, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, there's arguments to be made that they change too much, you know, but with the, end, the end product is a really, really, you know, good movie that is, you know, worthy of, of existing, you know, worthy of our time. But oh, I think absolutely. it really, for me, and, and maybe this is a deep cut, but for me, I loved the uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, the second Jurassic Park movie. Is oh, yeah. one. It's one of my favorite book adaptations because the book is boring as hell. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is so boring. I was a huge Jurassic Park fan in the 90s of the book. But I read the book th- at least twice, maybe three times before the movie came out, before I even knew there was going to be a movie. Uh, I just I saw I, I, a friend of mine bought the book like the day it came out and like l- fell in love with it and like shoved the paperback at me. And I was so happy because it was such a great book. And we were so excited for that first Jurassic Park movie to come out. And I think that was my first lesson in like, wait, this is different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and I really enjoyed it. But there was I was definitely confused uh, as to like why they changed so much. But, you know, again, they did a good job. They gave us something new. They were respectful of it. Whereas and then I then I read the sequel, the book, uh, The Lost World, and it's so fucking boring. Just, oh, God, it's like 42 chapters long. And I think maybe 39 of them, there's just people sitting around studying dinosaurs. You know, it's just right. it's like maybe it's exciting if you're a scientist, but like like I, there's no action, you know, whereas then they made the move. They made the movie and they were like, cool, we'll do all that science stuff. But then we're going to fight some T-Rexes, you know, and like <laughs> <laughs> it's like, cool, give me the same story. But, you know, give me some dinosaur fights because that's what makes it fun. <laughs> right. Totally. Great. Now, see, I never read The Lost World. I did read Jurassic Park park before the movie and i remember as a kid like noticing differences but i was so blown away by the you know the actual film that i didn't really care um but i never read the lost world and i did like the movie i I actually enjoyed that movie a lot i remember going to see it in the theater as a kid and and having a lot of fun with it oh yeah i I saw that at the drive-thru Oh man, I haven't been to a drive-through in a long time. The drive-through in uh, Middleport, uh, <laughs> Middleport, right. New York. Shout out to Middleport, New York. Anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, and I, I I loved it, and I know a lot of people like bag on it for being corny, but you know, if you if you read the book, you'll see how good it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, oh I, man, I've, I've heard a few times, but. Uh... <laughs> All right, Mike, I think I said my piece and we probably could have, you know, bitched and complained a lot more. But I think, you know, the point here is, you know, if you're going to make an adaptation, it's just better. It's better to be respectful, do something new with it, make it interesting. So it's not exactly the same thing. But, you know, like I said, don't be disrespectful. Don't shit on my shit that I like. Right. (laughs) Don't don't pull a wanted. (laughs) Yes, please don't pull a wanted. It's okay to pull a watchman, but don't pull a wanted. Right. (laughs) Exactly. All right. All right. So let's get out of here. Hey, as everyone probably already knows by now, because we say it every time, I'll say it again, though. Redpantheon.com is where you can check out a whole bunch of other really cool projects, uh, including uh, Comics Boost, which I do on Instagram and Twitter to feature uh, comic book crowdfunding campaigns, as well as a bunch of other awesome artists and photographers and musicians. It's a whole super team of uh, kick-ass creative people uh, doing fun stuff, including some other podcasts like the two that you are on, Mike. Which What are those called? Uh, the Boogeyman's Closet, which is our weekly horror movie podcast, um, along with Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash, which is where three grown man children talk about toys. Awesome. Awesome. Well, next time on this particular show, we two man children, I guess, will talk about <laughs> some other uh, property from our childhoods that we wish was better. We wish was adapted uh, better or that we could just, you know, improv improve. Uh, and with that, I'm Josh. Uh, Mike. And we have to return some videotapes. Raised by Rentals is a member of the Rad Pantheon Network. Visit radpantheon.com to support Rad Stuff. The theme music is Forbidden Fruit by Velvet Bethany. You can purchase music and learn more at velvetbethany.com. Hollywood clearly hasn't had an idea in the last two or three decades.